Uh, the reading today is from Nehemiah 2, verses 11 to 20. And this is where Nehemiah inspects Jerusalem's walls. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Amen. Thank you, Barbara, very much. So as we continue this morning looking at uh, people of hope, we come to this amazing story of Nehemiah, such a great story from the Old Testament and the quick version we had from God's story gave you the overview and uh, now what we need to do is just to pick up one or two points of detail but particularly to say what is this uh, saying to us today and uh, really for me Nehemiah is a kind of book where I've been more used to preaching a whole series of sermons than just one so for me it was particularly challenging to really say what is the most important message that comes from Nehemiah as a person and from this book that uh, records the story of his life. Well, that will become clear as we go along, but just start very quickly with the when and where. Don't want to take much time on this, but uh, the story of Nehemiah comes around the period after the exile, around 450 BCE, which kind of puts the story about halfway between the time of David and the time of Jesus. So you've got quite a lot of the Old Testament before. You've got the exile a short while before. You've got the time of the New Testament ahead. And Nehemiah just sitting there somewhere halfway between David and Jesus. It's set in Persia when Nehemiah was cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And actually as we read through the story of Nehemiah, we find that he as a person had three different roles in this story. Uh, he was, uh, first of all, the cupbearer to the king. And then when he returned to Jerusalem, he was what we might call the project manager 
to rebuild the walls, and then uh, he was also appointed governor of the city. So he had very different roles as his life progressed. But the earlier part was set in Persia. And we need to understand a little bit about what it meant that he was cupbearer to the king. It meant that he tasted the food and the wine before the king ate it or drank it. And that was particularly as a protection against those who might try to poison the king. And that meant that if the food had been poisoned, if something had been put in the drinks, it's the cupbearer who would die and not the king. He really was the bodyguard, if you like, for the king's eating and drinking. And therefore, quite a close role and relationship developed between cupbearer and king. It was a position of considerable influence. Just as Daniel had taken a position of authority in the Babylonian Empire, Nehemiah had a position of authority in the Persian Empire. He was really absorbed into that part of the world. But he was also had a heart for his Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And when he heard that the walls of Jerusalem were in a, such a state, he needed a favor from the king of Persia. Some of those who'd been in exile had returned, from, uh, returned back to Jerusalem a good many years earlier. The temple had been restored 80 years before Nehemiah, but the city walls remained in ruins. And Nehemiah felt deeply about this. He longed to be allowed to return to Jerusalem and to help to rebuild the walls. But he needed the king's permission. He waited his time, and then in the right moment, the king granted his request. And so the story unfolded, and you will be familiar with that, many of you. And we all saw a brief outline of it just now. We might pick up one or two bits of the story later, but let's focus especially on Nehemiah and the kind of person he was, because that will give us some pointers to the action that we need to take as people of hope today. What is Nehemiah saying into our lives today? Well, what kind of person was he? In the character of Nehemiah, first of all, it's very obvious that he was a leader. There's no doubt about this. Everyone is called to be a leader, but the story of Nehemiah speaks especially to those who have leadership responsibility. And actually, many of you are leaders. You might think, no, I'm not a leader, but actually, if you have, for example, responsibility for children in your care, then you will lead those children in the way that is appropriate as a parent as a carer. If you're involved in other activities with children, which affects their well-being and their development, you are leading them. If there is any sense in which you have a, a role amongst adults, where others look to you for a lead, albeit just on one particular occasion in the week or one occasion in the month, or whatever it is, there is an element of leadership in your life. Many of you are leaders because you carry a responsibility in church or in your family or in your workplace. And we need to hear especially what God is saying through Nehemiah. But equally, for those of you who do not have any kind of leadership role, Nehemiah still speaks into our lives very powerfully. We acknowledge that he was a leader, 
That doesn't mean we discount all that was going on in his life. We identify with it because many of us are in that place at some point or other in our lives. He was a leader and he expressed emotion. That's the next thing about his character. He was a strong and confident and competent man, a gifted leader, but he had a tender heart. The report of Jerusalem grieved him deeply. He wept and he mourned. It was an honest outpouring of emotion. Do you remember Jesus also wept by the graveside of Lazarus when he saw Mary mourning the loss of her brother? God doesn't ask us to hide our emotions. Indeed, in times of pain and struggle, it is important that we have space to grieve and maybe to cry or whatever form of emotion is an appropriate expression. Someone once wrote, tears are how our heart speaks when our lips cannot describe how much we have been hurt. And Psalm 56, verse 8, you know how troubled I am. You have kept a record of my tears. The Lord sees and knows and identifies with emotion. It is part of life. Tears are prayers as well. They travel to God when we cannot speak in words. And this is the important thing, that sometimes the most amazing actions come out of deep emotions. So just because you're a leader, maybe, just because you have responsibility over others, doesn't mean that you're all locked up inside yourself and don't express emotion. Out of emotion can often come the most powerful action. With Nehemiah also, we find that he prayed regularly. We see him as a man of passionate prayer. He cried out to God with a passionate heart, not just once, but regularly through the story. Prayer, if you like, was his reflex response. As soon as anything came up in the story, as uh, the whole project continued, the first thing that Nehemiah would do would be to pray. His first way of approaching a challenge that came to him. Instead of complaining or getting discouraged, or instead of jumping in too quickly with an answer, Nehemiah would come to God first of all. He would take that time to pray before he did anything else. But then he also planned strategically. And in a way, this moves us to the second of his main roles in the story, the role of project manager in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. It was a difficult job. If we try and reconstruct the city as it was in the time, uh, this next map should give us a little bit of an idea. And uh, what this gives you is a bit of the shape of the city in the time when uh, Nehemiah had to reconstruct the walls, very different to the shape of the city as it is now. What it doesn't so obviously give you is the sense of, uh, uh, of um, height and depth. But actually the temple there in the top of the city is on a hill, and then it is a very steep drop. You can see the rivers running both sides. Those rivers uh, would almost be tumbling down, almost waterfalls deep down until they meet at the bottom. And from the top to the bottom is a huge descent. And if you imagine that the walls either side were all tumbled down, and Nehemiah came out of uh, halfway down the left-hand side of the, 
the city walls in its narrowest part. And then he tried to find his way along the riverbank. And, and the walls had all crumbled down and the steep slope was such that it was incredibly difficult to navigate. At one point in inspecting the ruins, he had to turn around and go back because he couldn't get through. And if that was what it was like just looking at the mess, imagine what it was like to actually work out how to rebuild these walls. It was no easy task. And as well as the complexities of the steep hills on either side of the city, no very little space in which to work, there were internal and external enemies. We saw a bit about them in the story. Those who were wanting to stop this work from happening and the people of Israel who were involved in it, who were getting discouraged. But despite all of that, this job was done in 52 days. I don't know whether you're a fan of DIY SOS. They seem to get jobs done incredibly quickly. This wasn't quite six days, eight days, ten days or whatever. But to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem in 52 days feels to me a bit like a project of that kind. Just phenomenally fast, amazingly successful. Rather than just hoping things would work out, Nehemiah brought enemy, energy and determination to this task. There was the time to wait on the Lord, to watch and pray, but then there was the time to get up and go. And the balance of those two is so, so important in the kingdom of God. He planned strategically to get this job done. And as that was going on, in a remarkable way, he also motivated others to share with him in the work. It was essential. He couldn't possibly have done this job on his own. But it was also inspirational because uh, as others became motivated and as others became involved, they captured the excitement of what was happening. Now, motivation can really have one of two different kinds. You could call it extrinsic motivation or intrinsic motivation. And the extrinsic motivation is the kind of motivation where you motivate other people to get involved because there might be a reward if they do it well or there might be a punishment if they do it badly. And so you urge other people to do this in order to get a reward or in order to avoid a punishment. That kind of motivation was not in the story of Nehemiah. There were no prizes for the best section of the war. There were no penalties for those who refused to work. Rather, Nehemiah used what we might call an intrinsic motivation. He was saying this project is the purpose of God. This project is part of the kingdom of God. Through this, God's work will be furthered. And therefore, it needs to happen. And Nehemiah was stirring the hearts of his fellow Jews to get involved and to fix something that had been left untouched for far too long for the sake of the kingdom and for the people of Israel. He motivated others. And he stood firm in hard times. He met that opposition with secure faith. We had in our reading just a little summary of Sambalat, Tobiah, and an Arab named Geshem who heard what they were planning to do. They laughed at us and said, what do you think you're doing? Are you going to rebel against the emperor? And Nehemiah answered, 
the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants, and we're going to start building. But you have no right to any property in Jerusalem and no share in its traditions. There was a quiet but firm determination from Nehemiah to see this work complete, and nothing would stop it happening. His confidence was in the God of heaven who would give him success. These are the characteristics of Nehemiah. But what is the one thing that comes out most strongly? You see, we could stay with all of those characteristics. We could build a sermon out of each of them. We could talk particularly about leadership. We could talk particularly about the value of expressing emotion as part of uh, healthy living. We could talk about the times when we need to pray in order to discern the mind of Christ, to align our will with his. We need to talk about the value of strategic planning in the things that we do today and how we encourage others to be involved and how we can stand firm in half times. All of those would merit a sermon on their own. But fundamentally, for me, what Nehemiah is saying above and beyond all else is that hope means action. Nehemiah, hand me another brick. These walls of Jerusalem are broken. They need fixing. And we today, are a people of hope. We have the greatest message of hope in the world. But it cannot just stay as a concept. It cannot just stay as a worldview. It cannot just be a way of thinking. It has to be translated into action. Those walls of Jerusalem can be taken to represent your own life or the life of the church across the world or the presence of the kingdom of God in the nations. There are so many ways in which we can apply the broken walls of Nehemiah. But the fact is that we do not see God's kingdom come and God's will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. We do not see all that we long for as Christian people in our world today. And so there is a task to do. Our hope is in the God of hope who through Jesus Christ brings us a gospel of hope and has given us a spirit that enables us to overflow with hope. And that leads to action. The action will involve different things. At times it will be evangelism, proclaiming the good news of what Jesus has done for us. At times it will be community action, coming alongside those who need to be supported and helped. At times it will be pastoral care, listening, caring, really understanding those in need. At times it will be growing in spiritual depth, allowing the Holy Spirit to work deeply in our own lives to bring about that maturity of faith and discipleship. At times it will be living out an active faith and trusting God for those things that seem to be beyond our understanding, beyond our comfort zone, and yet we trust and pray and reach out in faith that they will happen. The question you and I have to answer now is, what are we doing today towards the rebuilding of broken walls? Christ has come and has brought the greatest gift of all to a broken world. There is power in the name of Jesus. Your hands and my hands are still part of his strategy. Hand me another brick. There is work to do. 
we have amazing hope, but that hope needs to lead to action. And so in our church life at the moment, we're reviewing our strategy a little bit. The deacons are meeting again this week with our regional minister, Neil Leticia. We've met with him once already. And we're looking at what we believe God has ahead of us and how we can make that happen. Church life can get very busy. And the key question is whether we have the right strategy for our part here in the rebuilding of the kingdom of God and the sharing of the love of Jesus today. Tomorrow we meet to remember the life of Kev Whitehouse. It'll be a challenging funeral, but also an inspiring occasion. I trust you're able to come, and if you are, don't come expecting just a 20 minutes in and out. Be ready for a longer service, not too long, but there is plenty tomorrow as we hear from others and as we're challenged in our own lives. Because the reality is that none of us know how much longer we have to live. It's just been quite remarkable today that you've so kindly marked Francis and my 40th anniversary of being married. Amazing. I can't believe it's 40 years, actually. It's gone so quickly. Uh, but it's been a fantastic time, and we look forward to years ahead. But none of us know how many more years that will be. It's not in our hands. Life is in God's hands. I'm challenged by Nehemiah. I'm challenged by his balance of prayer and action, by his expression of emotion, his firmness of faith, but most of all, by his clear motivation of so many people to achieve what needed to be done. I long today that there will be many more who will discover Jesus, whose lives will be turned upside down or indeed turned the right way up in following Christ. For those who will find hope and healing, comfort and guidance. I long for a church of committed disciples, excited to see God at work in their everyday lives. The ordinary becoming special through the power of God. I long for a community around us who increasingly recognize that God is at work in this world today, that Christianity is very much alive, and that the church is a powerful and positive contribution and influence into our community. We pray that God will do what only he can do, but then we get ready that we can do that part which we have in the whole process. So will you hand me another brick and can we get building in the kingdom of God and can we see that kingdom grow and see the love of Jesus shared and see the power of Jesus felt more and more in our world today I pray that it will happen and I pray that the story of Nehemiah will inspire you this morning that you're part of this great kingdom work and that your hands and your feet do matter in the building of the kingdom wall as much as anyone else's. Hand me another brick.